Long history. The southern United States in the 1500s. Part 4. Slaves, gold and food. Meeting the people of southwestern Florida. Welcome everyone and we're at episode 4 of Long History's The Southern United States in the 1500s. This text describes an expedition from the mid-1500s to explore large parts of the southerly states of the US, from Florida to Arkansas and most of the states in between. This expedition was headed by Hernando de Soto and began in April 1538. This narrative was written by a Portuguese man known as the Gentleman of Elvers. Here at Long History we like to take source documents and split them up into 10 minute chunks. So this is the fourth part of a 25 part series. So if it takes your interest and you haven't already, I'm sure episode 1 will just be a few clicks away. And don't forget to subscribe to be notified of the other episodes when they're released. And that way you can listen to some of the earliest European descriptions of the American mainland. In the previous episode, Fernando de Soto and his expedition finally arrived in Florida. They took over a local village and established something of a base from which to explore. During these explorations, they came across a Castilian man, Juan Ortiz, who had spent 12 years in Florida amongst the local people, having been stranded there during a previous expedition. The previous episode ended halfway through Ortiz's story of his years in Florida. As the previous episode ended, Ortiz, enslaved and living with a group of local people, had just been told to flee in order to avoid being sacrificed. And so, Ortiz is fleeing from his master, Coldocito, towards another leader's territory. You'll hear the word cacique used a lot in this text, which is the term, the Spanish term I think, used to describe the local leaders. It's called Mocoso, and according to the 1907 edition of this text, Mocoso's town was situated to the west of today's Miaca River. Later on in this episode, central southern Florida is discussed, the area today called Polk County. So here we go with part 4 of the southern United States in the 1500s, Slaves, Gold and Food, Meeting the People of Southwestern Florida. Ortiz travelled all night, and in the morning came to a river, the boundary of the territory of Mocoso, where he discovered two men fishing. As this people were at war with those of Osita, and their language is different, he did not know how he should be able to tell them who he was and why he came, or make other explanation that they might not kill him as one of the enemy. It was not, however, until he came up to where their arms were placed that he was discovered, when they fled towards the town, and though he called out to them to wait, that he would do them no injury, they only ran the faster for not understanding him. As they arrived, shouting, many Indians came out of the town and began surrounding in order to shoot him with their arrows, when he, finding himself pressed, took shelter behind trees, crying aloud that he was a Christian fled from Usita, come to visit and serve Mokoso. At the moment it pleased God that an Indian should come up, who, speaking the language, understood him and quieted the others, telling them what was said. Three or four ran to carry the news, when the cacique, much gratified, came a quarter of a league on the way to receive him. He caused the Christian immediately to swear to him, according to the custom of his country, that he would not leave him for any other master. And, in return, he promised to show him much honour, and, if at any time Christians should come to that land, he would let him go freely and give him his permission to return to them, pledging his oath to this after the Indian usage. Three years from that time, some people fishing out at sea, three leagues from land, brought news of having seen ships. When Mocoso, calling Ortiz, gave him permission to depart, who, taking leave, made all haste possible to the shore, where, finding no vessels, he supposed the story to be only a device of the cacique to discover his inclination. In this way he remained with him nine years, 
having little hope of ever seeing Christians more. But no sooner had the arrival of the governor in Florida taken place, when it was known to Mocoso, who directly told Ortiz that Christians were in the town of Usita. The captive, thinking himself jested with, as he had supposed himself to be before, said that his thoughts no longer dwelt on his people, and that his only wish now was to serve him. Still the cacique assured him that it was even as he stated, and gave him leave to go, telling him that if he did not, and the Christians should depart, he must not blame him, for he had fulfilled his promise. Great was the joy of Ortiz at this news, though still doubtful of its truth, however, he thanked Mocoso and went his way. A dozen principal Indians were sent to accompany him, and on their way to the port, they met Baltasar de Gallegos in the manner that has been related. Arrived at the camp, the governor ordered that apparel be given to him, good armour and a fine horse. When asked if he knew of any country where there was either gold or silver, he said that he had not been ten leagues in any direction from where he lived, but that thirty leagues distant was a chief named Paracochi, to whom Mocoso, Usita, and all they that dwelt along the coast paid tribute, and that he, perhaps, had knowledge of some good country, as his land was better than theirs, being more fertile, abounding in maize. Hearing this, the governor was well pleased, and said he only desired to find subsistence, that he might be enabled to go inland with safety. For that Florida was so wide, in some part or other of it, there could not fail to be a rich country. The cacique of Mocoso came to the port, and calling on the governor, he thus spoke. Most high and powerful chief, though less able, I believe, to serve you than the least of these under your control, but with the wish to do more than even the greatest of them can accomplish, I appear before you in the full confidence of receiving your favour, as much so as though I deserved it, not in requital of the trifling service I rendered in setting free the Christian while he was in my power, which I did, not for the sake of my honour and of my promise, but because I hold that great men should be liberal. As much as in your bodily perfections you exceed all, and in your command over fine men are you superior to others, so, in your nature, are you equal to the full employment of earthly things. The favour I hope for, great Lord, is that you will hold me to be your own, calling on me freely to do whatever may be your wish. The governor answered him, that although it were true, in freeing and sending him the Christian, he had done no more than to keep to his word and preserve his honour. Nevertheless, he thanked him for an act so valuable, that there was no other for him that could be compared to it, and that, holding him henceforth to be a brother, he should, in all and through all, favour him. Then a shirt and some other articles of clothing were directed to be given to the chief, who, thankfully receiving them, took leave and went to his town. Chapter 10 How the governor, having sent the ships to Cuba, marched inland, leaving 100 men at the port. From the port of Espiritu Santo, where the governor was, he sent the chief Castellan, with fifty cavalry and thirty or forty infantry, to the province of Paracochi, to observe the character of the country, to inquire of that farther on, and to let him hear by message of what he should discover. He also sent the vessels to Cuba, that, at an appointed time, they might return with provisions. As the principal object of Vasco Porcayo de Figueroa in coming to Florida had been to get slaves for his plantation and mines, finding, after some incursions, that no seizures could be made, 
because of dense forest and extensive bogs, he determined to go back to Cuba, and in consequence of that resolution, there grew up such a difference between him and Soto that neither of them treated nor spoke to the other kindly. Still, with words of courtesy, he asked permission of him to return and took his leave. Baltasar de Gallegos, having arrived at Paracochi, thirty Indians came to him on the part of the absent cacique, one of whom said, King Paracochi, lord of this province, whose vassals we are, sends us to ask of you what it is you seek in his country, and in what he can serve you. To which the chief Castellan replied that he much thanked the cacique for his proffer, and bade them tell him to return to his town, where they would talk together of a peace and friendship he greatly desired to establish. They went off and came again the next day, reporting that as their lord could not appear, being very unwell, they had come in his stead to see what might be wanted. They were asked if they had any knowledge or information of any country where gold and silver might be found in plenty, to which they answered yes, that towards the sunset was a province called Calais, the inhabitants of which were at war with those of territories where the greater portion of the year was summer, and where there was so much gold, that when the people came to make war upon those of Calais, they wore golden hats like casks. As the cacique had not come, Gallegos, reflecting, suspected the message designed for delay, that he might put himself in a condition of safety, and fearing that if those men were suffered to depart they might never return, he ordered them to be chained together, and sent the news to camp by eight men on horseback. The governor, hearing what had passed, showed great pleasure, as did the rest who were with him, believing what the Indians said might be true. He left thirty cavalry and seventy infantry at the port, with provisions for two years, under command of Captain Calderon, marching with the others inland to Paracochi. Thence, having united with the force already there, he passed through a small town named Asella, and came to another called Tocaste, whence he advanced with fifty of foot and thirty horse towards Calais, and having gone through an untenanted town, some natives were seen in a lake, to whom, having spoken by an interpreter, they came out and gave him a guide. From there he went to a river with a powerful current, in the midst of which was a tree, whereon they made a bridge. Over this the people passed in safety, the horses being crossed swimming to a hawser, by which they were drawn to the other bank, the first that entered the water having been drowned for the want of one. The governor sent two men on horseback, with word to those in the rear that they should advance rapidly, for that the way was becoming toilsome and the provisions were short. He came to Calais and found the town abandoned, but he seized three spies and tarried there until the people should arrive. They, travelling hungry and on bad roads, the country being very thin of maize, low, very wet, pondy, and thickly covered with trees, where there were inhabitants, some watercresses could be found, which they who arrived first would gather, and, cooking them in water with salt, eat them without the other thing, and they who could get none would seize the stalks of maize and eat them, the ear being young, as yet containing no grain. Having come to the river, which the governor had passed, they got cabbage from the low palmetto growing there, like that of Andalusia. There they were met by the messengers, who, reporting a great deal of maize in Calais, gave much satisfaction. While the people should be coming up, the governor ordered all the ripe grain in the fields, enough for three months to be secured. In gathering it, three Christians were slain. One of two Indians who were made prisoners stated that seven days' journey distant was a large province abounding in maize, called Apalache, 
Presently, with 50 cavalry and 60 infantry, he set out from Calais, leaving Luis de Moscoso, the master of the camp, in command, with directions not to move until he should be ordered. Up to that time, no one had been able to get servants who should make his bread, and the method being to beat out the maize in log mortars with a one-handed pestle of wood, some also sifting the flour afterward through their shirts of mail, the process was found so laborious that many, rather than crush the grain, preferred to eat it parched and sodden. The mass was baked in clay dishes, set over fire, in the manner that I have described, as done in Cuba. Juan Ortiz's tale ends with a note of optimism, as his owner, the local leader Mocoso, makes clear that his releasing of this Christian is an act of friendship. However, events quickly turn sour, especially when we read between the lines. The local people are quick to tell the Spanish that the gold and the food they seek is elsewhere. We can see phrases in this document such as when the grain was being secured for the Spanish. In gathering it, three Christians were slain. This is followed by a phrase which, tellingly, begins one of the two Indians who were made prisoners. Such details reveal that the food was obtained by violence, leading to Christians being killed as part of the battle. The Spanish don't quite feel able to trust the people they meet, showing that despite the friendly gestures of Mocoso, they were quick to make enemies of the local people. In the next episode, De Soto and his men have more violent confrontations with the local people of Florida. Thank you for listening to this episode. As you've made it this far, please give it a like. As stated previously, this is the fourth episode of a document that has been split up into 25 parts, so don't forget to subscribe. Thank you for listening and goodbye.